this, this, this show is brought to you by Safety FM. What's up, people? Welcome back to Rebounding Safety. Today, we're talking all about fire safety legislation because there's lots going on, lots of change, and there is a big change coming this month, January 2023. Let's jump into the intro. I'll tell you some more about it. The problem in safety isn't deviation, it's complexity. Health and safety has gone mad. Health and safety is trying to unpick having gone mad in the past. There's no one solution and one problem. The problem is that we are looking for one solution. Does the structure of the team allow them to flourish? Feel safe enough to be uncomfortable. The environment defines our behaviors. People aren't the problem, they're the solution. Rebranding safety, crushing the stereotype. Brought to you by Risplur. What's up, people? Welcome back to Rebranding Safety. Rebranding Safety is a YouTube channel and podcast doing exactly what it says on the tin so if you're new here hit that subscribe button and the bell and all of that magical algorithm stuff my name is James McPherson from Risk Fluent, the health, safety and culture consultant. And I'm your host for today. And our guest is an old regular, been on the podcast a few times. And um, since the first time they came on, where we kind of talked about compliance in general, ever since then, this person's become a bit of a campaigner, and a real big voice in the game of fire safety within the property and building sector, and have been keeping us up to tracks, so had been on once before uh, to give us keep us up to date with everything that's changing and now again with everything else that's coming so without further ado let's jump into my conversation with the old regular matt hodges long morning matt welcome back to the podcast mate hi james it's been years so it has. having me back it has yeah i think this is your third time is it i don't know i don't keep count um yeah it's <laughs> probably <laughs> at least three yeah yeah, it's definitely more than two. You've definitely been on twice, so I think this might be your third one. Or we'll get some kind of trophy or something. Or we'll send you like a little. Trophy. We'll send you like a little silver microphone or something. We okay, won't. perfect. We can't afford silver microphones. <laughs> the Brewdog guy got into trouble over that, didn't he, with his gold beer cans? It ended oh, up costing him half a million. So be careful. Oh really? Oh Jesus! Right, I didn't know that. Um, Matt, do you want to give us a quick introduction? So we're going to kind of talk about fire safety and, and and what's going on. And you've been like kind of fully in that. But in case people don't know who you are, would you want to give yourself a bit of an introduction first? Yeah. So I'm Matt Hodges Long. I'm the CEO and founder of a company called Track My Risks, or a software platform called Track My Risks. Um, which hopefully, by the way, it's named leads you towards the kind of subject matter that we deal with, and that's tracking risks. It's, it's more broadly governance, risk and compliance management. Um, and we do that across a number of industries, including education, uh, financial services, um, and a significant amount of building and fire and life safety, you know, health and safety. So really any um, business process that requires management of lots of evidence, um, has scary regulators sitting above it, rights of audit, um, and the sort of either the, the financial risk of penalties or the criminal risk of imprisonment, for example, um, tend to be the areas that we work in. So rather than just dumping things in a OneDrive and hoping for the best, we sort of create environments that are unbelievably locked down and secure. That is your sort of source of knowledge. It's where where you would show, what you would show the auditor, what we would show the regulator, how you would comply with regulations. So we spend a lot of time looking at regulatory codes and saying, how would I evidence compliance with these? How would that form in sort of documents and files, et cetera? 
put them into our platform in a structured way, and then you can make sure that you get the right people permissioned in to manage the right level of information and reporting, et cetera. So um, obviously post Grenfell, lots of movement in the whole area of fire and life safety and building safety, um, which has been a, um, a major area of um, business for us and, and um, campaigning focus um, and lobbying. Um, and is uh, there is a massive need for all that kind of structural organization within organizations and um, that's what we spend our time doing but my background originally is in construction and property management prior to going into to tech so I, I know enough of the technical side of things to be dangerous not enough to be a practitioner anymore I'd need to go back and learn but certainly get the basics and understand you know all of the underlying basics of construction and property management and all those sorts of things and um, you know so I think that's really helpful context that I don't necessarily have in healthcare or education yeah. So when we first spoke, we were predominantly talking about kind of kind of generic building compliance. Right? This was years and years ago, the first time we met, and we were talking predominantly about um, the, 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 the kind of um, track my risk. And then from there, mate, I mean, you kind of, you mentioned about, um, I, I don't know what word you want. I'm going to say protest. I don't think that's a word. Uh, campaigning, there we go. Uh, that was a word you used. Like campaigning, you've, you've been on LBC, and I think that was the last time we had you on was around that time as well. Um, you've been quite a prominent voice in, in fire safety, and you've been kind of, like I say, knees deep in that swamp for uh, a long time. How how did that kind of come about? Another thing, I mean, originally it came about from saying, uh, when Dan Judith was saying about all well, the inquiry was identifying and Dan Judith was saying, so Dan Judith was talking about golden thread of information and digital record keeping, all that sort of stuff, which, you know, we, we're involved in. Uh, the inquiry was saying that the uh, the lack of information that was available to the fire service on the day of the fire, the, the underlying procedures and policies that hadn't been maintained over years. And when you, you know, when you've got a, um, a software system that kind of does all of those things, and that's what you've designed it to do. And you've you've got a strap line, which is saving lives and careers. That's there for a reason. Um, I've seen too many people thrown under the bus, often for quite good reason, for not managing these processes properly. And then the implication of not managing risk effectively is you're more likely to kill people. All of those things played out at, at Grenfell. Um, I, th I, I felt that people need to know about this. You know, the government needs to know that we can do something. And we can do it quickly. The, the time to act is now. Um, so we started talking to the government and typical, you know, took months to get a response. Then it's a holding pattern. Then we're consulting them with this, then with that. So I took the ball by the horns and said, OK, well, if I was the regulator, um, I would deploy a software platform that is mandatory for, for responsible persons or accountable persons to register their buildings on. And then I would start gathering information from them, getting them to disclose information. So we simulated that by setting up the building safety register um, with a view that the government would look at that and say, this is fantastic, exactly what we need. And then they'd write us a, you know, a check to, to buy it or rent it or, you know, do a deal with us and, you know, all the rate. Anyway, the, that engagement was not forthcoming, but in doing so and publicizing that as a concept, um, we started getting media inquiries or I started getting media inquiries and that sort of snowballed from there and sort of became a, a kind of an advocate for what perceived as an advocate purely for residents fighting this battle. They were one stakeholder. I could also see that freeholders had a massive issue. Managing agents had a massive issue. Society had a massive issue. 
Um, and really that crystallized into campaigning for transparency in building safety. Yeah. Saying that the way that you you ignore building safety is by making it secret and locking it all away so nobody really knows. And then you've got to go and dig really hard to try and find that that information. That's probably only going to happen if there's been an incident. Yeah. Whereas if you surface that information and you publish it and you, within reason, that might be open publishing or it might be to a select bunch of stakeholders. Um, daylight is shining on the fact that, you know, that building X hasn't performed a fire risk assessment for five years. Um, it's up to the authorities and it's up to the residents to say, are they happy with that? And they will probably police up their own building and say, come on, I understand we should be doing this yearly. Why has it taken five years? What's going on? Please sort out a fire risk assessment for my building. Or you've identified this corridor's blocked or this door's hanging off in the fire risk assessment a year ago. It's still hanging off. I've read this. I understand that door needs to be on its hinges because otherwise this X, Y, and Z could happen. Please put the door back on its hinges. So we felt that there needed to be far more sharing of information in relation to fire safety and building safety. Um, so that's sort of yeah, that, that's where the media thing came from, and then they they just kept ringing, you know, and it's um, uh, it sort of escalates and so like, oh hello, it's Newsnight here. Would you be able to come on tonight? Or it's Panorama, or it's BBC BBC News, Breakfast News, or whatever. Um, so I didn't go out specifically to court that; it just sort of happened, and thankfully it's died off now. There seems to be a, a fallow period in terms of the media being interested in this subject. Yeah, um, it will probably come back, but they've moved on to other things now. Um, yeah, so that's how the media side happened. Um, wasn't intentional. Um, probably hasn't been the smartest move from an from a revenue perspective, because it does tend to polarise the debate. Um, but you know, I have always spoken positively about all of the stakeholders involved in this. Um, probably most of my criticism, if it is overt, has been pointed at the government and their inability to actually sort of manage the situation post Grenfell has been where most of my ire has pointed not at individual stakeholders within the delivery of property or the occupation of the property. Right. So you've been kind of really in like in, in this the whole the whole kind of timeline. Could you maybe just help us out trying to understand briefly the the timeline. And I know there's a hell of a lot in that, but maybe just some some key milestones um, leading us probably to present day. Yeah, so if we go back, I think I probably won't go back and sort of start the timeline at Grenfell maybe in June 2017. Um, We could go back before to to Lacanal and right back to Ronan Point and all that sort of stuff. But there's a recurring theme that I think we could probably all agree that fire safety in high-rise in residential buildings has probably not really got the attention that it should have deserved in all of those years, both from a regulatory perspective, from a responsible person's perspective. We've got the uh, introduction of the Regulatory Reform Fire Safety Order in 2006 that effectively put paid to local fire brigades going and fire risk assessing and signing off on buildings, certificating buildings, and push that to industry. Um, so we got to this bizarre point where, in theory, you know, a person that has absolutely no experience around fire could be fire risk assessing a building and everywhere in between, and that whole kind of wild west of fire risk assessment that grew up. Um, same thing has now happened with happened with external wall system assessments post Grenfell um, of of this kind of 
opportunity to make a lot of money that a lot of people jumped on when perhaps they should have stayed in their lane and carried on doing what they were good at. Um, so then we went through into the uh, Grenfell inquiry. So the um, the the Hackett report, then Judith Hackett's report, I believe was came out in uh, May 2000, I haven't got it in front of me, I think May 2019, I believe. October 2019 was the phase one Grenfell inquiry report that came out. And the importance of that is that the majority of the recommendations in the Grenfell Inquiry Report Phase One, in terms of management of buildings, is now is now landing in January 2023 as the Fire Safety England regulations. Right. So, secure information boxes, for example, as a premises information boxes, as was key recommendation, that's now a requirement in the Fire Safety England regulations. Uh, routine checks of buildings, fire door inspections, et cetera, et cetera, external wall assessment, all of these things came from um, the regulation or the, the, the recommendations of the Grenfell Inquiry Report. Um, other key milestones. So um, Building Safety Act was um, went through Parliament and was uh, achieved royal assent in 2021. Fire safety... I'm going to get the dates wrong. I think the key point is it's complicated even for somebody that does this all the time remembering all of these dates and milestones yeah. without notes is actually pretty hard um they they overlap the the key point at the moment in terms of immediate you know the year ahead 2023 is a big year um the first key milestone is the 23rd of january so yeah. four and a bit days away uh, where the fire safety england regulations become enforceable i think yeah. we'll go into that in more detail we then roll into for high-rise buildings we roll into april 2023 where the building safety regulator opens for registrations of high-rise buildings so you'll be putting your building forward registering your building uh, and saying that you're the principal principal accountable person etc etc and repeat um, and you've got through until october 2023 to finish that registration so that process is open from april to october um, and then we're looking at these full sort of commencement, we believe, of the Building Safety Act with the regulator from April 2024. But again, it all starts to get a bit hazy. Part of the reason for that is the Building Safety Regulator isn't really communicating at the moment. It's not clear. Um, we don't know how you're going to register a building from April. We don't know what platform you're going to do it on. We don't know what questions you're going to have to answer. Um, so we're waiting for that. So that, that that's something that's being sort of pent up. Um, and alongside that, the health and safety executive are trying to recruit about 600 people into the building safety regulator at the moment. Um, 600? So how many people? Where? 600. Yeah. Um, how it's all going to be funded, don't know. What these people are going to be doing, don't know. What happens if they can only recruit 200, don't know. Um, it seems to be sort of shrouded in secrecy. But yeah, the regulator has to... <laughs> become a regulator and um whether that will lead to dates being pushed out whether it will lead to submissions being made but not being processed unclear and then alongside all of that will be the production of um, building safety cases for high-rise buildings for the regulator um which it has kicked off or has been going for a, a year or two um in a small pilot group um but there will be, in the fullness of time, 13,000 of these of the safety cases to produce across the industry. Um, if the government's 13,000 number of how many high-rises there are in England um, 
is correct. And again, there's a question mark over that as to exactly how many they are. So yeah, there's. A, I think for anybody involved in ha having anything to do with high-rise residential buildings, um, this is going to be a very, very busy year. Um, and if, if project plans aren't in place to deal with all of this now, then I would strongly encourage anybody to start get a piece of paper out and actually put some put the key dates down and work backwards and work out. I spoke to one client the other day and we sort of sat and it, the dawning realization for them that they would have to produce a safety case every week for the rest of the year if they were going to meet the date that they've put in place. And they haven't got one finished yet. And they've been working on that for over well, nearly two years. Jesus. So just writing some notes because there's a lot here that I want to I want to bring up. <laughs> yeah, no problem. Trying to freaking keep track of it all just in this conversation, let alone in reality. Yeah. So this, I think the key, the key point while you while you make your notes, I think, is to about having that plan and being being organised and sort of a, a lot of it from our world is about finding information. You know, where is the evidence of doing something? Or, or for example, in the Fire Safety England regulations, you know, there's a one of the regulations says that you need to perform month, routine monthly checks at the building for yeah. seven key fire safety systems, um, and then that the monthly check needs to be recorded but also needs to be accessible to residents. So for example, not only is that, how are you going to do the monthly check? How are you going to record the monthly check? But then once you've done the monthly check, by what means are you going to make it accessible? You know, are you going to pin that on the notice board in the foyer? Are you going to share it with them digitally and let them come and access it if they want? So you're not withholding. Are you going to do both? Are you going to print it and put it through their door every month? What are you going to do? And once you've done it, how are you going to evidence that you've done it every month if somebody comes and says show me the last 24 months worth of evidence that you've been making this accessible to your residents so it's about thinking through not only doing the tasks but being able to evidence the tasks if you're audited in the future or god forbid you have a fire and you're investigated formally um can you show that you've ticked all of those compliance boxes um along the way so that, that those sorts of thoughts that you've got to think through and then multiply that by however many buildings you've got. Mm. So, you know, 20 buildings, 12, you know, 12 times 20 is the amount of processes that you've got to run just to satisfy one part of that one regulation in the FSER. I mean, you've got to feel sorry for a building owner, right? Like just trying to find all this stuff out. It's really, really complex, really hard. Yeah. It's not as simple as like Googling. Because um, I, I was doing this not not, not long, actually, yeah. this, this week doing some work. And, and just thought, I wonder if I just Google the word as a building owner or as a block of flats owner, what do I need to do? There's not a simple answer at all. Like even on the no. Google, Age. the no. government got like their fact sheets they're not very helpful at all no. so what what we've what we've done um to, to address that exact point james is um spent a lot of time going through fire safety if we focus on fire safety England regulations for a moment or as i abbreviate it the fscr with some brackets in the middle um if we look at the fscr we, we went through line by line of those regulations read them, read them again, read them four times, spoke to people about the interpretation of them and said, okay, right, this is what we believe it means. Without This is before the guidance came out, and that guidance was particularly disappointing. Um, the guidance came out last month. Um, and we said, right, okay, so how would you as a building owner um, or a responsible person 
um, evidence compliance with that part of the regulation. So we put that into a checklist, which is all broken down. Oh, wow. And it talks about how you might want to evidence it and then what best practice might be in terms of sometimes you might want to go. So a good example of that is in the regulations, the secure information box, there's a duty within the regulations to check the condition and the contents, or well, it doesn't say contents, the condition effectively of the secure information box annually. Mm -hmm. Now, bearing in mind the contents of a secure information box could well change during that year. And the fact that it's not helpful to a fire service if they turn up and attend a fire, open the box and the information six months out of date. Mm -hmm. So you might still be within your 12 month, you know, your annual formal check. But you probably breached other areas of, you know, keeping the information up to date or whatever, or just mm -hmm. helped kill people. So what we've said is, for example, best practice might be when you're doing your monthly checks of your seven key fire systems, best practice might be adding on the secure information box as number eight. So although there isn't an explicit duty to do that in the regs, it would be a good idea when you're walking around the building to build that into your walk around, mm -hmm. both in terms of checking the the security of the box, the fact it's not hanging off the wall or ripped off, you know, ripped open, and the content of it, and the content is up to date with wherever your source copy of all of that underlying information resides, which could be our platform or anywhere else, your OneDrive environment, whatever you're using, um, of doing that assurance check, and that would give you confidence then that you know, if the fire service does turn up on a in two weeks time, that they're more than likely, bless you, they're more than likely to be viewing the latest version of the information, bearing in mind the the, the, the information box is a metal box with paper in it. It, it has no intelligence. So that's in a checklist, which is available for download, and we can put it in the notes if you want afterwards. So for, well, you know, I am, um, to... I'm just on your... So this is on buildingsafetyregister.org, isn't it? What you're on about? Yeah. So if you go if you go yeah. into the news and you go into the uh, it's, there's a download link in the um, uh, in the at the bottom of the blog post, which is the well, I'm uh, on the, the page one where you can where you can select whether you've got low rise, high rise. I'm yeah. Not, so that's another that's another thing that's another thing that we did just as a simple thing to say. And I think, again, there's a misconception here that the Fire Safety England regs only apply to high-rise buildings. They don't yeah. they apply to all buildings of multiple occupancy with a common entrance. Yeah. Um, it just so happens if you're low-rise, all you've got to do is share um, evacuation and fire door information with the residents. residents. Yeah. If you go to mid-rise, you've got to do those first two things and you've got to um, fire do door. fire door, communal fire door and flat entrance door checks mm -hmm. um, and note those. And... If it's a new mid-rise, you've also got to add in a secure information box. Yeah. Building regs changes. And then high-rise, you do everything. So there, there is a requirement to actually work out from your portfolio, what are my compliance requirements in, in each of these? Um, and I think quite a few, especially social housing um, providers at the moment, are adopting the, wherever possible, we're going to apply most of the high-rise regime in the Fire Safety England regs to our mid-rise and low-rise blocks as well yeah so yeah we're already doing monthly routine management checks it's just that there's no duty for a mid-rise or low-rise to report faults or repairs to the fire service but there is in high-rise from the 23rd of jan so it's about think it's getting into the, the practice and then saying okay how are we going to report these how are we going to remember to report them um does the building manager that's looking at five blocks for example does the building manager get online and report to the fire service or does it go through head office and does a compliance manager or a head of assets make the report 
how do we then remember when we fixed the issue to then repair and um, report the repair, which would have a consequential sort of knock-on operational impact on the fire service to reduce or increase your the risk of the building and what their operational response is. So yeah. th that's the reason for reporting it. But I think from the RP side, it's about thinking about the process and not, oh, James has got to remember to do this. It's in James's head. Oh, we haven't done it for two years. Oh, it's because James left and nobody else knew. So it's about having that management system in place for a repeatable outcome rather than what often happens is, yeah, James or Jimmy or whoever, the, the fire safety specialist in our organisation is the one that understands all of this intimately. But, you know, he's on paternity leave or whatever it is that then this activity doesn't happen for, for six yeah. months, nine months, 12 months, however long. And then you end up on the wrong end of a regulatory enforcement notice. Yeah. So that's the... I just on on the on your website. I mean, praise where where it's due, mate. This is I've been doing a shitload of research on this, and I I don't know why I'm kicking myself. I don't know why I didn't go onto the building safety register stuff that you guys do. Um, this is great. This the the bit the ability for a build anyone building manager building owner whatever to just go right fucking fire safety England regs. What do I need to do? I've got high rights right. Right. Oh, okay. Step one to twelve. It's that's us. What a resource. So well done. I'll definitely put the link Thank below. I'll, yeah. I'll also be telling everyone that I know that runs buildings uh, to go to here. <laughs> yeah. And, and what we try to do is just make that simple and sort of say. And I think the penny probably hasn't dropped in a lot of areas yet. About and we've got a blog about that as well. The newest, second to newest blog is 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 about the the challenges about managing and it, it looks at the hyper hypothetical housing association uh, that has 28 high-rise buildings and it starts counting up how many moving parts there are if you're evidencing you know if you want to be compliant with the fire safety england breaks and it, it it multiplies that up over 28 buildings i think from memory it's something like 1163 mm. pieces of moving information every year in relation to those 28 high-rises some of which have got to be shared with residents some of which have got to be shared with the fire service Etc. Etc. And if you bring it all back, and then you sort of say, "Well, actually, how do we do this operationally?" But then, how do I, as if I'm the chief exec or the head of compliance or whatever, how do I actually get assurance across these 28 buildings that all of this is being done, and I'm not going to yeah. end up in the dock? So, you know, and this really is what I'm describing. There is exceptionally simple in relation to what's coming under the Building Safety Act. So, if you think it's difficult to do this bit for the Fire Safety England regulations you wait until you start properly embracing the Building Safety Act because your number of moving parts has just gone through the roof. Yeah. Um, and interestingly as well, like like yours, it's, it's, it's honestly, again, like this is great, a great little tool um, and I'll link it for everyone. But like if we get to like step eight, which like you were saying, if it's a, a mid-rise new build, you kind of go step one to four, skip five, six, seven and go to eight. Um, so essentially... Anything mid-rise to high-rise that's new and or existing for high-rise needs one of these premises information boxes installing, which yeah. it's, it sounds relatively simple, right? Because we've had them for a very long time. They're not new. Um, yeah. The only thing we're doing is, is making it a legal requirement. And then also the FIA and the NFCC have issued their guidance, the best practice guidance on how to, how to do them. Um, 
There's quite a lot of information going in there, to your point. Like, it's a live box. You know, if I just look at Appendix A in their guide, it goes from page 20 to 33 um, of stuff that they need to put in that box. Well, you know, this is is interesting because it's a code of practice that's out of date and hasn't been revised. So... It, the, the requirements in the code of practice go way beyond what's specified in the fire safety England regs. Right. Um, back to the back to the point of of language. Deliberately, the the government have have renamed a PIB as a secure information box. I think it's something to do with trademarking. Um, so it's now it should always be a secure information box. Obviously, everyone calls it a premises information box. Um, so the guy, I didn't know. So that. the code of practice needs to be updated just for that change, really. Um, but then I think outside of a residential building, so if it's fire, uh, a train station, then it's still a premises information box, for example, which the code of practice would apply to. So that there needs to be some tuning. But generally, um, yes, it, it it it's a metal box with a load of paper in it. The hard the hard bit is not putting the metal box on the wall. <laughs> the hard bit is producing the content to go in the metal box and keeping that up to date. Correct. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. That's the, that's the challenge, not buying a box from Gerda or whoever and screwing it on a wall. That's relatively simple. Yeah. Um, you would think if if they're available, if you can afford them, if 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 if. Yeah. But the production of those plans, and then when you get into the production of plans, you start looking at um, uh, British standards versus the code of practice, and there's discrepancies over what icons for various things should be, and that that's been raised before. Do you go with the British standard? Do you go with the code of practice? Um, who's producing all of these plans? I think we've had that that discussion via email. Um, are they going to be of any use to the fire service? You know, laminating them, etc. So if you think of the process of making some changes on the floor of a high rise, which means we need a new floor plan an updated floor plan i've got to produce the updated floor plan i've got to remember to send a copy of that to the fire service and keep evidence that i've done it just in case they check later i've got to remember to get that printed remember to laminate it i've got to remember to go and find somebody with a key that can open the box that can update and take the old floor plan out and put the new floor plan in lock the box again prove to me that they've done it and that's just one page of one document within an information box in one building and I might have 50 or 100. So the opportunity for human error here is massive unless you've got some kind of management system or assurance process to make sure as far as possible that you're actually keeping the stuff up to date and it flows through. Um, So we, we, you know, we've simulated that and sort of, well, you know, how would we do that? Would we do it this way and we'd evidence it that way? Within the Fire Safety England regs, and again, a lot of people have overlooked this, that the um, the fire, eva- you know, the evacuation um, instructions for the building, fire safety instructions for the building, um, have to be displayed in a displayed in a conspicuous place within the building. Yeah. Okay. Well, no definition of a conspicuous place, but you could you could make that up. But then, once you've displayed this in a conspicuous place, how are you going to evidence that you've done it? And then how are you going to make sure, you know, you put it there in January. Um, if you don't check it again, by February, somebody could have pulled it off the wall. And then for the rest of the year, there's no conspicuous display. So again, in your monthly check, one of the things that I would recommend you do is you take ev- your photographic evidence that of conspicuous display and you keep hold of that. And if it's not there, you replace it and you evidence that. So um, and a, a number of people use things like tools like iAuditor to do that for that 
walk around um, and have a structured approach to what they're checking and photographing and evidencing. Um, but there are, there are lots of hidden gotchas in there if you haven't properly read. And I would encourage everybody to look at the checklist that we produced, the, the full formal PDF checklist, which again can be downloaded from that blog article and we'll share the link because that goes through line by line, whereas the online checker is more of a sort of a very simplified consider these things. It doesn't go into the detail. Yeah. Um, but all of this depends on does the RP want to actually be compliant with the regulations? And then the counter the counterfactual that's come back to me is, well, it doesn't really matter because the fire service have told us they're not going to enforce or they're not ready to receive the information that we're going to send. So they're telling us they don't want it. My read of the legislation is that just because they say they don't want something as a regulator doesn't absolve you from the legal responsibility. If it was me, I would, from the 23rd of January, make that available. If they choose not to look at it, that's the fire services problem as the regulator. It's not yours as yeah. the responsible person. Yeah. If, you, if you're relying on them not turning up, you're just, you're compliant by luck. And that's it really, aren't you? Um, yeah, I mean, the, the, so the, the likelihood is you could, we could get into a whole philosophical debate around are the fire services adequately resourced to um, to uh, enforce these regulations, police them up and, and audit. I think the reality of that is, yeah, you, yeah, probably initially you're unlikely statistically to get a knock on the door and a compliance check, yeah. but it could happen. Um, what would the fire service do on the 25th of January, for example, if there's a big fire in a high rise? you're the responsible person for it and 12 people die and they do a formal investigation, are they going to be able to ignore the prevailing enforceable regulations as a part of that investigation? And if you breach them, don't know, but do you want to be the, the responsible person that's the test case? Um, and that's where this becomes really interesting. Well, not interesting, but kind of scary, isn't it? Like if something did go wrong, does the regulator, which we need to talk about the regulator in a minute as well, like does the regulator enforce against the legislation of the most up-to-date in-place legislation? Of course it does. But then does the regulator consider the context that that same organisation, e.g. the fire service, had turned up and said, we can't take that information. We've got no, we've got no means, resource or technology to be able to take that information. So just don't send yeah. it. So you go, okay, cool. The the regulators told me not to worry about this because they're not ready. So I'm just going to wait till they tell me. Then something goes wrong, and now all of a sudden you're not compliant with the legislation that they yeah. told you not to be compliant with. Yeah. This is massively complex. Well, I suppose yeah, you, you've got the point of of electronic sharing. If they said no, they haven't said yeah. don't do the things that you would have shared. So, for example, sharing floor plans and building plans, put them in the secure information box, right? So. I would expect at that point, if it, let's say it's LFB and they're not ready to take the, the floor plans digitally yeah. as per, so they've said don't send them digitally, for example, but they haven't said don't print them and put them in the secure information box. Yeah. Don't produce the plans. Don't worry about it. We don't really care about this, these regulations. Yeah. Now, an interesting point looking at, I've got LFB's website up at the moment and I've done a, a search for fire safety brackets, England close brackets regulations. On the LFB's website, we are five and a bit days or four and a bit days away from go live, and it does not return a single result. 
yeah. from the entirety of the LFB's website, from their news, from their uh, press releases. So completely invisible. And I also have, because I've been emailed about it from various people, um, written evidence that the LFB are actually saying they're not ready for this information. They don't want it at the moment. So that's why I've brought that subject up. Now, that's worrying with new legislation. That isn't a great start to new regulations. And especially in the context of fire safety with a fire service that did preside over the Grenfell tragedy, wasn't as though it happened somewhere else in the country and they're, they're, they're asleep. They've been dragged through a, um, a public inquiry, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You, I would have thought that the fire service that would be most likely to embrace this change would be London Fire Brigade. Yeah. Of all, of all fire services, you would expect... I would think, from the outside looking in. Now, I don't know what the debates are behind the scenes about money, about management, about whatever, but the reality is... The Home Office have brought forward these regulations in response to the Grenfell inquiry. Um, everybody has nodded along and said, yes, we need to change our behaviour post-Grenfell, etc., etc. It wasn't that terrible. But I can't see the evidence of change in that organisation uh, in terms of what the public see and in terms of what they're saying in private and they're telling RPs. So big question um, about their the level of seriousness with which these new regulations are being embraced by the regulator. Mm. Um, and I think the other key point with the fire service is when, in terms of their approach to enforcement, I haven't seen anybody from the enforcement side of the house speaking about this yet in terms of their attitude. There are operational people that are saying, well, operationally, we can't do anything with this. Don't worry. We're not going to hit you over the head and we're all on the same side. Let's work together to improve fire safety. But, if you switch into an adversarial relationship in terms of you've just killed 12 people in one of your buildings or 12 people died in one of your buildings, they are now the regulator. It is adversarial. You are a witness a potential yeah. um, for potential criminal action against you. Yeah. Um, would it really wash that Fred from, you know, Harringay said, oh, don't worry about it, James, it's all fine. You know, we know you've got lots of work to do to get ready for the regulations. As long as you can show us that you were working towards it, oh, that will all be fine. It isn't going to be Fred from Harringay that's the one that's taking you to court. No. It's probably going to be Sheila. And Sheila's not interested in all of that background. Sheila's job is to enforce the law. Yeah. Did you break the law or not? Yes, she did. Yeah. You're going to court. So I mean, that, that's the interesting thing that we don't know until somebody after the 23rd of January is going to be the first one with their bits on the block. Yeah. We don't know what's going to happen. Um, but for me, this is like, if I am ever working with a client and they ask like, are we at risk, James? Like the answer is yes. And the answer will always be yes. Like it will yeah. never be no. Because if, if I go into a company, right, and they've done nothing, and this is all new, right, well, kind of new, but, yeah, it's debatable. But the, this this legislation is new. The legal requirement for some of these bits are new. Um, and and my experience in housing and fire safety is even the stuff that isn't new, people have never had. Like they've never had. I'm still telling people to put um, floor numbers on on staircases. Have been for years. Yeah. Um, and it's, not, it's refreshing now to see that in the legislation. So I've got something more than just best practice to back me up. But Ultimately, like they've never had any of this stuff. You know, getting a fire strategy for a building is like 
gold dust. You would never, ever get it. Like no one's got a fire strategy for a building. So all of this stuff is kind of not there. So you're kind of starting from scratch. If I go into a company, whether it's fire, whether it's safety or whatever, and they've got very little, um, you know, we're going to put a plan together. Let's say we've got 600 high rise buildings in our stock and you know, we've got to, we can't do them all at once. Can't do them all overnight. So you've got to pick. So what do you do? You go risk-based. So you might just target the buildings where you had have near misses or you've got, you know, a, a more nefarious group of people. You might go student digs, for example, because students are students and, and whatever. You, you're going to risk prioritize it. Does that leave you at risk from the fire being on the one building that you thought was, was low risk? Of course. Of course it does. Yeah. Like, but, you know, suck it up. Like, that's just how yeah. it is. We're always going to be at risk. But this whole relationship with the regulator, I've always found is very interesting. Even when I've been involved in two primary authority schemes now, I know you know what they are, Matt, but like for those that don't, essentially it's like a if you're operating across various different regional authorities, e.g. you've got properties in Northamptonshire, London, Newcastle and Edinburgh, for example, you might primary authority partnership with one of them and that they'll kind of help guide you and become your primary authoritative kind of body. So you get a partnership. If I, if my, if I've got one with London, for example, and one of my London stock is on fire, all of a sudden my partner is now my enforcer. Yep. So it's this really interesting relationship, which you've which you've just touched on. Really kind of, and I remember an old mentor of mine in fire, um, Alan, said to me, like, just don't forget they're still our they're still our enforcer. And I was like, mm, yeah, never really realized that until you just said it, even though it's yeah. really obvious. But well, I think I probably I probably I didn't put my foot in it, but I I, I did a couple of um uh events, um online events where we were talking about this whole subject and and uh, I would always put into my slides that at the moment we, we, you know, we've got the NFCC on the call, for example, we've got Cheshire Fire and Rescue Service or whatever on the call and everyone's being helpful. It's very collegiate. We're talking about how can we interpret these regulations and how can we get ready and all those, what does this mean and what's that mean? But I would always remind everybody that at the moment we're friends. If you, if there is enforcement action against you, you are on the opposite sides of an adversarial so I put a diagram up that would say adversarial relationship. You know that that's what it becomes. Yeah. Because potentially that organisation could send you to prison or could fine you a huge amount yeah. of money or could embarrass you or whatever it is. Um, you know that they, they are collecting evidence at that point. So yeah. yes, work together, be collegiate, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But ultimately, a court is going to look at the. You know, did you comply with the regulations or not? Did you? And the way I see. Fire Safety England regulations effectively, and it's a great point that you mentioned that there is an argument you could construct that pretty much everything that's in the Fire Safety England regulations, accepting things like electronic information sharing and stuff, yeah. but the core guts of managing fire safety in a building, you should have been doing anyway with yeah. the RRO. All we're doing here is the regulations are clamped, in a, in a sense, giving the enforcement authority more opportunity to prove your guilt. Yep. than they had before by tightening up the wording yeah. by there is a clear breach there of regulation whatever you didn't do this you didn't display that yeah you know these are all points against you that yeah. so i think part i think is cultural change of you know in the property and property management industry of, of understanding now that the the regulators are getting sharper teeth yeah 
whether they will bear those teeth or not is a or have the ability to bear their teeth is a is another point yeah but they are give, being given more powers yeah so you've you've got to start taking them seriously or more seriously than you did before not that you shouldn't have taken them seriously originally but yeah. the, the the likelihood of you being on the end of enforcement action that sticks is increasing by the by the month over the course of 2023 yeah that's not a comfortable place to be so either you ignore it and hope for the best and play the numbers game or you start thinking about compliance more seriously um and i know we've had conversations before about does compliance mean safety and all that sort of stuff um you know i i think in in this context a building that has regular monthly checks of its fire safety systems a fire service that is informed if one of those fire systems that they assume will be in operation when they attend, they know it won't be or isn't or is unlikely to be, yeah. I would argue would probably should lead to safer outcomes overall. Well, it's the difference between acting into the letter of the law and the spirit of the law. That, that for me, you know, I stole that off uh, what's her name up in Scotland. Um I'll, I'll PM up there. I can't remember her name. Um, what is her name? Nicola Sturgeon. There we go. Um, First Minister, not the Prime Minister. Yeah, but... He's just she, been reminded of that a few days ago by, by the government. Anyway, we won't get into that. Let's not get into politics, but... Um, I, I like to throw a grenade in the room. I call her, I call her Prime Minister. President of Scotland. There we go. Uh, <laughs> Queen of Scotland. <laughs> Nicola, Queen of Scotland. That's the one. <laughs> right, carry on. Yeah. The Queen of Scots, yeah. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, I nicked that off her, to be fair. She said that mid-COVID, and I was like, you know what? I love that. It, it, and that that has always been the challenge in my career. It's like, what, what are we doing here? Are we acting in the letter of the law? Um, or we actually in the spirit of the law, the spirit being we stop burning people, we stop killing people, and so on, and so hurting people, disabling people, whatever, um, be it safety or fire. And ultimately, everybody is operating in the letter of the law. So all it does for me is just it makes the legislation more prescriptive, which which has is a trade-off that can be a pain in the ass. Um, it, it makes it to your point gives the regulator sharper teeth, so it it it, it gives them more to to enforce on. It should, in theory, give the risk assessor. If I mean, we'll maybe talk about the fire risk assessment industry and what that looks like in the future, but it, it essentially gives them a bit more clout because in the past I would say something like. You know, do do you induct for? I would use the phrase induct. Do you induce? Do you do an induction for new tenants in the in the building? No. Why would I do that? Well, would what would you do if you went to a new a new block of offices, start a new job? What would you have? I'd have an induction, and what would that induction include? What happens if there's a fire? Okay. And do you go sleep in that office? No, I'm not. Well, not supposed to anyway. Okay, but you go sleep in a block of flats, and you're living there. You, you you're chilling. You might even get drunk. Yeah. And you've got no idea what to do if the fire alarm goes off. And and that sounds like, all right, everyone knows what to do. But surprisingly, so many people do not know. Like we've had... Well, state- back to the point, is there even a fire alarm? It, well, and then and then that's yeah, that's, yeah. that's in with... Uh, that's one of the changes, isn't it? The I think that's a ADB now. Um, the building alert system, which is a whole nother conversation. Yeah, that would probably stare, stare out of that one. It's uh, <laughs> if we focus on the, the, the fire. So, but yes, you're right, the induction point, the 
of new residents. You know, how do you know there's new residents? Well, yeah. who's moving in, who's coming out? And then the, the, the catch-all on that is the fact that you know all residents need a, um, every 12 months need to be reminded of that fire strategy for the building yeah. or the fire safety instruction. And, and, and the they past- also need to be in a conspicuous place in the building. You know, so there's multiple layers. In the past, whenever I've said, I think it's a really good idea for you to do that and just tell people, you know, what this is what happens when the alarm goes off. This is why there is an alarm, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, this is what you should do in your flat. Because um, it, it sounds stupid, right? But there's a lot of people that still believe that what stay put meant was if there's a fire in my flat, I'm going to stay put. Now, I think in reality, nobody would sit in a burning flat, but we never know what people are going to do in a crazy situation. No. Well, there's a, there's a clear there's a clear example of this actually that you know I don't know all the details but so in May 2021 there's a big fire in um, New Providence Wharf in in, in Dolphins it's Ballymore development um, high end high rise residential flats um, clad in ACM which wasn't actually pertinent to that fire thankfully it didn't didn't get into that we got out it didn't go up the facade uh, the issue there was around smoke logging in the um, yeah. communal corridors. Which led to a rescue of dozens of people and a bit of hospitalisation and smoke hoods deployment and all that sort of stuff. So that's just been investigated and uh, from an enforcement point of view, which we can circle back to. But the, the pertinent point here, I think, is that a couple of pertinent points if we relate it to Fire Safety England regs. So in the Fire Safety England regs, one of the things you've got to do is explain to residents the importance and the operation of fire doors. Yep. Okay. Flat entrance doors, communal fire doors, et cetera, et cetera. And they've got to be checked, as we all know. Um, in that particular case, um, there was a fire that started in the hallway of a, of a flat in a, a electrical distribution board. And debris from the fire or related to the fire. Now, I've heard from one account that there was a broom or something that fell over that was in the hallway as the person exited the flat, fell and stopped the door, the fire door from closing. Another one is debris related to the fire fell down and stopped the fire door from closing. Right. Whichever way. Now, okay, that that resident got out, made themselves safe. Yeah. If, for example, the same thing had happened, and it, let's say it was the broom that you knocked over and the fire's in the bedroom, for example, you're, you're exiting and you're, you're leaving. Um, if you knew the fundamental importance of that, the difference between that door being open and being closed when you leave, yeah. You might be more diligent if you could, as long as you're not putting yourself at risk, be yeah. more diligent about making sure that's pulled close and you've checked it. Yeah. Sealing that compartment, right? If you just think it's a door, it's a bit like the sort of, you know, if there's a fire in the bedroom, don't open the windows kind of thing that you, you yeah. sort of think is obvious, but maybe isn't ob- obvious to everyone. But we educate people about it. So yeah. educating people to make sure, where <laughs> possible, that the door's shut, but also any device that's on your door to self close it, it's really important. Yes, it shouldn't be slamming and taking your fingers off you know that's something to report don't just disconnect the thing so that level of education the it then went into if we now look at another part of the fire safety england regulation one of the reasons for the excess smoke logging was a failure of the alarm system smoke alarm system that was linked to the aov system which was linked to the obviously the door release system for the communal doors and corridors corridor doors now it's not in the report, but I've had a number of witnesses that have come forward that, and I won't put times on it or who was involved, but effectively um, the fact that that system was offline was known about for a considerable period of time. 
if the Fire Safety England regulations were in force, that should have been picked up by the monthly routine check and would have been reportable to the local fire and rescue service. Now, in this case, that would have been the LFB, who at the moment seemingly don't want to know that the AOV system and the alarm system is failing in a high-rise building, based on their what we talked about earlier. But if it had all worked, then in theory, the operational response should have been updated prior to the fire, and perhaps they would have attended with more crews than they would have done yeah. without the, the, the incident reports. There's lots of ifs and whatabouts here, but just yeah. sort of thinking through the chronology of what would happen and why it's so important that the Fire Safety England regs are embraced, the reporting takes place, and then correspondingly, the operational responders do something with that information when they're told about it. Mm. So, and that, and ultimately where that's led with the enforcement action um, is that London Fire Brigade have decided that they won't take enforcement action against any of the parties involved in that New Providence Wharf fire. Um, and they've actually scolded themselves for fa failing to gather sufficient evidence at the time of the fire to, to bring about any form of prosecution or enforcement action, uh, and they promised to learn from that, um, which is a bit of a hobby horse of mine, where I think the, you know, the time to learn was in the immediate aftermath of Grenfell, not five years later, still saying that you're going to learn. But, you know, I don't want it to be a, a bash London Fire Brigade thing here, but really, you know, they should be leading on these things. Yeah. You know, they are the London Fire Brigade. They, in high rise, they regulate, probably 50 to 55% of the national high-rise stock yeah. within their brigade. You know, if, if, if they can't lead on this issue, what are Northampton going to do or Surrey or Hampshire yeah. or the smaller ones when LFB can't be bothered to regulate high-rise building safety properly, which is my interpretation. And I, I would love it. It would be amazing, James, if you could get somebody from LFB on the podcast to tell us or tell me respond why i'm wrong in that assessment mm. i would i would love to know because it's an, it's it's impossible to get them to talk so that's why i talk about it publicly in the hope that not that they'll respond to me but maybe they'll feel some heat and mm. start doing their job properly in my and experience we, you can't get any official body will not come on a podcast that this this independently run because we're independently run whereas you get shp podcast it's a good podcast but it's run by a very big body that's got a lot of fingers in a lot of these organ organizations you might take i don't know whatever i just use shp as, as one example or iosh's kind of magazine with um which I think might be the same thing, but anyway, uh, IOSH's podcast, just take them two as an example. You'll get anyone and everyone gone there because it's a very kind of formal, you know, the questions are confirmed and stuff like, you come on here, I'm not going to confirm questions with you. I'm not going to guarantee that if something comes up, you know, I've asked you shitloads of questions today that we haven't we haven't said that we're going to, we're going to specifically ask you that question. So yeah typically don't come on even if we have heads of safety for like a big company um and if they say to us like, oh we're going to check with our comms team i'm like just my advice you won't be coming on air if, if you check with your comms team yeah. and there's nothing there's nothing we're going to say that's going to destroy that business like if you're the head of safety you're not going to sit on there and go yeah we're shit but for i would love to get someone from the lfb on here but it won't happen Okay, well, it's an open invitation, I guess, then, if, yeah. if they yeah. do happen to watch this podcast. Um, 
and want to answer some questions, I think that would be great for everybody yeah. to see because yeah, we can only speculate. Even if you're like quite low down the chain in LFB and you want to whistleblow through Rio Brown and Safety, that'd be mad viral for us. So we'll go for that. <laughs> <laughs> Good stuff. Um, there is one thing I do want to touch on. We've we said about the regulator. Who, who is the regulator? Because we've got the fire service and then we've got the building safety regulator uh, housed in the, the HSE. So I've always called the regulator and fire safety the fire service. But what does what does that look like now? Uh, well, the answer is both, um, yeah. because well, if you take the building safety regulator, which is being established, and and currently their scope in high rise is for structural um, integrity and fire safety, although they call it building safety, so they ignore all the other risk areas, you know, Legionella and you know, lifts and you know all the other sort of big six stuff, so um, electrical. Um, gas, keep going, um, un- <laughs> unless how gas relates to fire and structural integrity and that. But yeah, so so um, so they would be managing that regime of which the fire service are a significant part of the new regulator. Um, and I think there's been lots of meetings between those parties around how they're all going to work together and what the terms of engagement are, because you've got building control in there as well and various other joint authorities but ultimately it's the building safety regulator that that leads it when it comes to the regulatory reform fire safety order that's quite clearly the um fire service right uh and then i think we've got the the local authorities environmental health etc around some aspects of the um habitation crossing into fire safety as well and the management of buildings and the safety of buildings through the through local authority so it's um it's and mixed, but typically fire in fire safety, I, I tend to just focus on the fire service, really. And people. the Fire Safety England regulations are essentially kind of a bolt-on or extension of the RRO, if I'm right? Yes. So, yes. therefore, that's going to be enforced by the fire service? Correct. Would the building safety regs, would that be what be going to be enforced predominantly by the building safety regulator? Or Yes. Or, yeah, yeah right, building right. safety acts is the, the building safety regulator, yes. Um, whether there would be... In, in an incident, whether there would be cases to prosecute um, an accountable person that is also the responsible person under, but I would imagine that one would one would lead on a prosecution. I would imagine. Yeah. I don't know, don't know how they're going to do it, um, but there are overlapping regulatory codes. Yeah. Um, but really, the when we look at the key points around management checks, risk assessment. Um, uh, resident engagement, information sharing, record keeping, etc. Those key themes in the RRO stroke FSER. That's like the baby brother or sister of what you're going to need to do in the Building Safety Act. So effectively, and there will be overlap between those two regimes. Yeah. But the general themes are similar. Yeah. So what have you built? Prove it's safe. Keep it safe. Maintain it speak to residents so they understand what's going on don't yeah. be an idiot and repeat yeah you know kill as few people as you possibly can <laughs> kind of mantra is it, it runs through all of this yeah um new legislation my personal opinion is there's too much duplication and there's too much going on and there's too much to deal with but you know really i think the time for complaining about that has passed you know there were the consultations there was an opportunity to lobby government some people did some people didn't some people did it well some people didn't 
But ultimately, the votes were taken. We've now got the Fire Safety Act through, Building Safety Act is through. And aside from some debating some secondary legislation, we kind of know what's happening. Um, when it comes to, you mentioned a point earlier around going into a company now and them sort of thinking, well, this is all new, even though it wasn't new. Um, I think really, if you are a competent manager of high-rise buildings, you should have known the basics of what were coming. You know, if, if you hadn't heard of the Grenfell Inquiry, you hadn't heard of Dame Judith, you hadn't seen what was being played out in the, in the media over the building safety crisis, I would argue, are you in the right job right now? So it's not to say that people should be super professionally, uh, you know, qualified in exactly what's going on and know every part of the legislation off by heart. But you should have known external walls are an issue and we need to get on top of those, you know, fire doors. Yeah, we should be checking them. OK, there's some legal yeah. issues with doing that. You know, the basic thrust of it, you know, it would be back to your point. It would be a good idea to tell residents if, if there's a fire, what they need to do. Uh, yeah. These basic things should have been well entrained way before the fire safety regs were clarified. Because and I think a lot of read the inquiry. Yeah, sorry. Sorry, go on, carry on. No, I mean you could. You, it was it was all in the inquiry report recommendations. The government said they would accept them in full. They yeah. haven't, by the way, but they said they would. So still <laughs> arguing over peeps and all that sort of stuff. Um, but that's what they said. So if it's like, well, okay, Martin Moore, so Martin Morbick says you need to check flat entrance doors regularly. He wanted them far more regularly than this, this ended up in regulations then I would be thinking, well, if I've got five high-rise buildings with 400 doors in each building, how am I going to check 400 doors in, you know, whatever, um, a month or a year? Um, how am I going to do that? Am I doing that? Let's start that programme now, not just leave it until the 23rd of January. So I don't think there's really an argument for not having done anything yet. If the reality is you haven't done anything yet, you need to double down and get it done. You, you you can't move the 23rd of January date. That's what it is. If you can't be anywhere near compliant until the end of 2023, um, you're in a much better situation um, showing that you're working towards it rather than just having ignored it. Well, I think we've covered quite, um, like at least we've covered uh, quite in depth kind of the, the fire safety regs, what what's changed. I'll, I'll make sure we link your checklist on there because I'll be honest with you, I'm going to use it. It's really good. Right, Matt, we um, don't have a lot of time, unfortunately. There's a hell of a lot of us uh, stuff, stuff for us to talk about. And we have, I think we managed to cover quite a lot of stuff, but I think maybe a part two is a good idea. I'd quite like to get into safety cases. Also would like to discuss what, what happened or is there anything going on with the building safety manager, which was something that came for Dame Judith Hackett's uh report as well um so i mean any, anything you kind of want to close out on those um leading in maybe into another part two and then also just give us a little uh give us a little insight into your company and how people can yeah. find out about yourself as well okay yeah no it'd be really good to talk about um, building safety cases because that is a, a huge area of concern i think in the industry in terms of how to produce them they're, they're currently so so effective for anyone that isn't aware any high-rise building that's under the scope of the building safety regulator as it comes in uh, will be required to produce a, a building safety case or a safety case report and the safety case that sits under it um, and that effectively is a a document that the way I would describe it is a um, basically is a thesis of how your 
a particular building is safe, how you would prove it's safe, that could be used um, in a court, for example, to, to as, as your management system for keeping that building safe. Of my words there, but effectively, it's it should be sort of structured typically around claims, um, the arguments to support those claims, and then the evidence to support the arguments. So there's sort of a hierarchy, um, and there are lots of different approaches to doing this at the moment. And my understanding is there's a pilot group of um, housing associations, mainly in councils, that are working with the health and safety executive, stroke building safety regulator um, on the pilot safety cases to try and get to a point where they've got a safety case for a building that, that is um, acceptable to the, to the regulator. Yeah. Um, there's about somewhere between 40 and 50 safety cases in the works. Um, none of them at the moment have been blessed by the HSE or the regulator. Um, even if all 40 or 50 of them were done, there's still another 12,950 to do. Um, when they need to be done by exactly is, again, is a bit fluid, but a lot of people are working on the basis that it would be probably um, April 2024 at the latest, but some people are bringing that back to January 2024 as a working assumption. Um, so there's a lot of those to do. They're very complex. Uh, the good news is we've spent a lot of time looking at them. And we are working with a partner company that um, have got safety case management software tool um, that's used in other industries that we're looking at repurposing or tweaking into the building safety case development process. Nice. Um, and we're working with a couple of pilot companies now in terms of taking their manual analog sort of development of the safety case and then reverse engineering that into the platform yep. to try and build some automation into it because you know, if you've got to do the same thing 50 or 100 or 200 times, uh, you need some help with the heavy lifting. Just writing Word documents is not going to cut it. Um, yeah. And it's not going to keep not going to keep them alive, as the regulations say. So that, again, if anyone's got any um, specific questions on that, I would like to have a chat about it, then contact me. It's, it's, it's early days. Um, really, what we need to do is get a couple of those pilot safety cases through the HSE mangle so yeah. that perhaps they'll never say this is perfect 10 out of 10. But they might say this is not something we would object to. It's acceptable. It's about as hard as, as as probably as effusive and praise you would get from a regulator is. Yeah. Yeah, we we wouldn't send this back. Yeah. <laughs> We're never going to say it's perfect because at that point you 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 can um, argue your way out of any kind of um, enforcement. Yeah. Um, so, so how do we get hold of you, Matt? And um, and kind of what what obviously you've given us a very good case to kind of how you can help us but um yeah. talking about like track my risk how do we find out more about that and the building yeah safety. so i mean easy just go to the go to the website so track my risks with an s on the end.com um the building safety register just google building safety register or building safety register.org both of those have got contact forms which will get through um or if you want to go down the sort of the linkedin route i publish a lot of articles and, and posts on LinkedIn. So that's just my name, Matt Hodges Long. Um, and if you are a Twitterer, um, you'll find Building Safety Register, Track My Risks and me personally on Twitter under my, our names. Um, yeah, don't don't be a stranger. Um, give me a shout, um, even if it's just a question or you know uh, something that isn't answered by some of the materials we put out. Um, let's have a chat. Always happy to talk to people that are trying to deal with these issues. Um, you don't have to buy software from us. Love it if you did, but you know, always happy to help as well because I did promise that to myself and everybody in, that I've met in the Grenfell community that I would do whatever I could within reason to avoid that same incident or same problem, tragedy 
happening to other families like theirs. So that that's what drives a lot of what I do. It's not necessarily for the right commercial reasons that I do things. It's it's um it's about being able to sleep at night and doing the right thing. So you know if you've got any queries, and that includes LFB that want to talk about what I've just raised, um, more than happy to talk, and we can do that privately or publicly. Awesome, awesome. Thank you very much, Matt. Okay, peeps, hope you enjoyed that. Hope you got something out of that. Don't forget to check out all of the websites and everything we've put in the description below. And if you need some help or support with this stuff, you can check out all of Matt's links. And if you need some extra help with this stuff, you feel free to check out riskfluentlimited.com. That's riskfluentltd.com. Or you can email me, james at riskfluentltd.com. If you forget all of that, and once you get home from your long drive or your dog walk or whatever it is you're doing right now, finish hoovering the living room, cutting the grass, probably not cutting the grass this time of year, you can go into the description, show notes, whatever you want to call it, and click all the links. Don't forget, 23rd, it's a big date for a lot of this stuff. The building organisation, uh, what's it called? The buildingsafetyregister.org, Matt's website. It's a really, really good, simple tool to be able to click what type of building you've got, and it will tell you exactly what you need for the upcoming changes on January 23rd. Hope you got something out of this. Thank you for listening. Catch you next week. Safe. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the host and its guests and do not necessarily reflect the position of the companies. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are examples only based on limited and dated open source information and should not be utilised in real life as the only solution available. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the companies. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored or transmitted in any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic or otherwise, without prior written permission from James McPherson.